So this morning, we're going to start in Psalm 103. Psalm 103, if you have a phone or a mobile device, you can turn to Version, the Bible app. Go to the events tab, click on home church. There you'll see all my notes. Or if you've got a Bible in your hand, if you're old school like I am at times, and I actually love to actually hold the Word of God, then you can go ahead and turn. Yes, Bill, hallelujah. Turn to Psalm 103. So the next three weeks, I'm going to begin a new series called Approachable. And listen, I, I kind of wrestled with it myself because as I, I told the worship team this morning, I've been following Jesus for 25 years, so I know He's approachable. Amen. And I know I, I know, I hear you, most of you in here probably know already that He's approachable. And so I kind of wrestled with God on this, I mean, I, I don't know if I want, if I, I should say this, but I'm going to, I, I just might fall in some deaf ears this morning for the next three weeks, and, and I'm okay with that, but I'm believing and praying that your ears will be open to hear what, what God has to say through me over the next three weeks. And so if you remember, we just got through going through basically a six-part series on Jesus being the king, that he is king of kings, that he is the victorious king, that he is the warrior king. And those phrases, those, uh, that identity of who he is can be very, very intimidating for some of us. And even though we just got through doing an amazing Kaya event, for those of you that, that don't know what that is, it's, that's come as you are. We did an awesome week of just worshiping Jesus. And, and, and we, we talked about what that means to come as you are. And then my son and I, Pastor Elijah, we, we preach on the prodigal son and how everybody is welcome to come to Jesus. And so we, we've gotten through all those things and, and we got through Easter and, and here we are with this new series. And so some of you are probably, probably like, yeah, duh, we, I know that I can go to Jesus. But I feel like there's something else there. And I'm going to get to that here this morning. Because may, maybe you're here this morning and you don't know that you can approach him because maybe you've never heard the good news and we're going to go through that this morning, I promise you. Or maybe you're here and you're thinking, you know, I have done some really horrible things in my life and there is no way he's going to want to hear from me or even see me. But he already does see you. But I think for the majority of those that are in here, it's more like this that I do know him, and I know he has saved me, and I'm good with that. I don't need to go to him anymore. And we don't say that, right? We don't say, well, I don't need to approach Jesus as a Christian, right? We don't say that, but sometimes our, our actions, our actions speak louder than words. Like, do you, as a believer, go to him? Or do you kind of go through your day and you just get caught up in everything that you got going on? Believe me, life is busy. Some of us in here have grandchildren, great-grandchildren, children. And if we don't have any of that, then we do have busy lives because after all, we live in a very busy country and if we're not busy, then we're not productive. If we're not productive, we're not making anything happen in our life. We're not, 
accomplishing anything. And so because of that busyness, sometimes it's easy to default to, I'm saved, I'm good, and I'll get to him when I can get to him. And, and what I'm here to tell you is, I believe what God has given to me, and I'm getting way ahead of my message, and that's okay, because I, I, I like what he's saying through me. I believe that in order for us to be effective as the church, then we've got to approach him a lot more. Amen. And it's a lot more than just what we need. Because that is also another default of our walk as believers is, I'm good, I'm saved, I don't need to go to him. But when crisis hits, when there's a need that I have, that's a default as well. Well, now I need to go to him. And his approachability is so much more than that. And so what I want to do is I want to get into Psalm 103 because this will do a few things. If you're somebody in here who is not a believer, have not chosen to follow Jesus, I believe when you hear this, what I'm going to read is going to change your heart. Also, I believe that if you're in here and you're following Jesus for a long time like myself, then I, I believe it's going to renew, renew your vigor to pursue him. Because as we sung today in the last song and what I read in Matthew chapter 27, verse 50 through 51, is the price that Jesus paid for us to be able to go to him is so amazing. Like we cannot comprehend that price. And so when I get done with Psalm 103, if you want to put a placeholder in your Bible, uh, I'm going to get into Hebrews chapter 4 and the verses that I read actually last week about Jesus being the great high priest. And what does that mean to us not just as believers, but those of us, maybe they're still on the fence. Maybe there's some of you that are watching online or here in the, in the auditorium that are on the fence about whether or not to trust in him. And so let me get into Psalm 103. By now you should have gotten there. I'm going to read out of the message version because I feel like this version really hits it home. So here's David. Oh, my soul, bless God. From head to toe, I'll bless his holy name. Oh, my soul, bless God. Don't forget a single blessing. The ESV translation is probably one that you've heard more uh, than this one, but the ESV translation says uh, not to forget a single blessing, but forget not all his benefits. See, this is the phrase that actually got me to think and pray about this uh, next series that I'm doing right now. Forget not all his benefits. So what David is saying through this psalm is, is I, I've approached him a lot, and I know him very well, that I cannot possibly forget all of his benefits or forget a single blessing. So why? Why is it that, that David and why is it that we as believers, maybe those of us in here that are unbelievers, should be drawn to him? Verse 3, he continues, he forgives your sins, every one. That's awesome. He heals your diseases, every one. He redeems you from hell, saves your life. Praise God for that. So what he's saying here is, doesn't matter what I've done, doesn't matter what I'm dealing with right now, emotional healing, physical healing, mental healing, whatever it is that you need, whatever it is that you've done, it don't matter. He will save your life. And life meaning life eternal, life out of hell. That's amazing. And here we go. He crowns you with love and mercy. Love and mercy, I know I have beat this horse and I will continue to beat it until it is no longer there. But 
This is not judgment and condemnation. Love and mercy is the theme of the gospel. Love and mercy is the age that we live in today. Not judgment, not condemnation. And because he does so, we will receive a crown. As the ESV, uh, the message translation says here, a paradise crown. He wraps you in goodness, beauty eternal. He renews your youth. You're always young in his presence. That's the key word. Yes, youth. Yes. Yeah. See, we can be just like the youth. Don't care how old you are. Just like the youth, we can be when we're in Jesus. But the key phrase here, you're always young in his presence. That's that approachability. That's part of the reason why we want to come to him so we can continue to carry the good news and do so in power. He goes on, God makes everything come out right. He puts victims back on their feet. He showed Moses how he went about his work, opened up his plans to all Israel. God is sheer mercy and grace, not easily angered. He's rich in love. He doesn't endlessly nag and scold, nor hold grudges forever. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. Do you hear that? Look, every one of us in here sin. Now, granted, it might be few and far between, but there are times when we sin, and if you're honest with yourself every day, there's something you do against God. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. Driving down the road, every day you get in that car. If it's not about what you say, it's maybe what you're listening to, I'm just saying. But what he says here is, he does not give us or treat us as our sins deserve, nor pay us back in full for our wrongs. As high as heaven is over the earth, so strong is his love to those, here's a phrase, who fears him. Fears him. This phrase is so grossly taken out of context. When you read fear God, that that phrase is throughout the Bible. I believe in the, in the New Testament it's 33 times it's mentioned in the Bible. Fear God. I'm going to get into what that means here in a minute. And as far as sunrise is from sunset, he has prepared us from our sins or separated us from our sins. As parents feel for their children, God feels for those who can fear him. He knows us inside and out. That's intimidating. He knows everything about me inside and out. Keeps in mind that we're made of mud. Yes, we are. The Bible says that from the dust of the earth, that is how he formed us, right? But we're not like every other living creature. We actually have the spirit of God in us when we become believers. We are made of mud. But men and women don't live very long, do we? Like wildflowers, they spring up and blossom. But a storm snuffs them out just as quickly, leaving nothing to show that they were here. God's love though is ever and always eternally present to all who fear him, making everything right for them and their children as they follow his covenant ways and remember to do whatever he said. God has set his throne in heaven. He rules over all of us. So here comes more intimidation. He is the king. So bless God, you angels, ready and able to fly at his bidding, quick to hear and do what he says. Bless God, all you armies of angels, alert to respond to whatever he wills. Bless God, all creatures, we're all creatures, wherever you are, 
everything and everyone made by God and you, oh my soul, bless God. That is awesome. If you're ever having a bad day, go to Psalm 103 and just read it and just meditate on it and just marinate it and there, there his presence will be. But you read through all of that and three times it says fear God. Fear God. And, and that fear is not an unhealthy fear. It's not a fear like I was, I was saying earlier this morning, like if, now bear with me because I'm, I'm a fan of sci-fi, so if Godzilla were to show up in Broken Arrow, okay, what would you be doing? You wouldn't be going to him, you'd be running from him. Okay, that's not the kind of fear that I'm talking about. That's not the kind of fear that the Bible is talking about. The fear of God is an awesome reverence of who Jesus is, right? It's, it's, it's this, this holy reverence for this awesome God. And, and, and that should not push you away. Instead, that should draw you to him. So just like everything that God does, he always flips the script, right? He always flips it around to where you read it initially and your human mind says, I should be afraid of God, where in your spirit that says, no, 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 no. No, the fear of God is you should draw near to him because as we draw near to him, he draws near to us, amen? So the fear of God is so important to understand. And I think honestly, if, if, if we're honest with ourselves as we're going through our life and our busy lives that I pointed out earlier is sometimes that fear of God just kind of goes away. But see, God is so good that maybe because we live in Oklahoma, we see these amazing sunsets, these amazing sunrises, things like now for those of you that know me, I love hummingbirds and now the hummingbirds are coming back, my feeders are out, I'm seeing them come, come to the feeders and feeding and it's like there's these, these clues of God lovingly saying, come back to me in fear in the sense that you, you in awe, you're in awe of me and that you love me and that, that you want to be with me. It doesn't push us away, it should attract us, Amen. That's so important. So here are some of the things that I said during the last series. If, if you were here last series, uh, maybe you weren't. But here are some of the things that I said. That God is the creator of everything seen and unseen by man. That his wisdom and ways are much higher than our wisdom and our ways. That he knows the number of hairs on every one of our heads. Yes, every hair follicle that produces hair that does no longer produce hair. He knows every number of those hair follicles. He knows every thought and intention of our hearts. Man, that's heavy. He knows our deepest, darkest secrets, our biggest regrets, hang-ups, sins that we will commit. But yet he chose to become one of us, die on a cross, and resurrect from the dead and defeat death. He is 100% alpha male, and 100% one and only true God. And the next time that we see him, we're going to see him in action as the warrior king, to where that everybody that has opposed him and opposed his church, he's going to slaughter by the millions. I said all those things, and that's very intimidating, and that creates fear sometimes within us that's not healthy. But instead, those things that I said should make us want to draw near him. Jesus wants us to know right now, whether you've been a believer for 50 years or you're an unbeliever today, that he is approachable. He wants us to approach him. And there's many different reasons why. So today, what I'm going to focus on 
and then this is a long introduction, is the confidence to approach him. Confidence isn't just, <laughs> isn't just like for the youth, okay? The hottest girl in high school, right? Wow. I don't think I can approach her. It's not just that I don't think I can, it's the knowing that you can, but also the willingness to do so. It's the willingness to do so. So maybe some of us in here are saying, I'm confident to approach God, but are you willing to do that? Are you doing that now? That's the confidence that I'm talking about. There's one phrase that Jesus said 13 times in the Gospels, follow me. And he said it to so many different people, so many different types of people, that at the end of this message, I am going to shotgun so many verses your way that highlight the kind of people that had the boldness, the willingness to approach him. And if they can, then all of us should. Next week, I'm going to talk about the benefits of approaching him. And then week three, what I'm going to go through is the heart that we approach him with all of our hearts. And I've touched on that a little bit last week, but I'm gonna really nail it home three weeks from now. So let's pray. Father, I just wanna thank you so much for the words that you've given me this morning. Father, I thank you that today you use me and that everyone that's in here, Father, regardless of what situation that they're in, what category they place themselves in, where they're at, what season they're in right now, I just believe that they have open hearts to receive this morning the fact that you are approachable. And Father, I just pray that right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, I've mentioned this before, but I was raised Catholic. So for 23 years of my life, I was raised in the Catholic Church. And one of the things that I did when I was in middle school going on to my freshman year in high school was I I was an altar boy. And so, yeah, I was one of those, those cute kids, wore a robe that would occasionally bring the, this ginormous book up for the priest to read, which was the Bible, the Catholic Bible, for the priest to read. And this season of my life was, was quite interesting. I almost felt like I had an angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other shoulder when I was in this season of my life because the devil was my fellow altar boy that I seemed to get scheduled with every time I served. His name was Christian, ironically. <laughs> and Christian, what he used to do really well is make me laugh. So if anyone in here has been to a Catholic Mass, it's not quite like this. Very formal, very serious, candlelight, incense, robes. The music's not so lively, depending on what service you went to. When I was growing up, they had just started introducing the contemporary service. So, me laughing to a red-faced kid next to me was not a good thing. Was very noticeable, let me just tell you that much. This is the kid who convinced me to go into the closet and break it open and eat the communion elements and drink the wine. I confess. So this was the devil on my shoulder. And there was multiple times when I would laugh because he would whisper in my ear. And this is so funny because, God bless them, these, these people would come up 
to do a reading, these people would come right in front of us, walk by us to go up to the altar and do a reading. And we had two readings during the Mass. And every time somebody would go by, he'd whisper something about them that would make me laugh. So not only were we laughing in Mass, we were laughing at people during Mass. And so I'm going through all that, and there was, there was multiple times, multiple times when the deacon uh, who served almost every, every Saturday night, that's when I went with Saturday night, uh, his name was Joe. And Deacon Joe sat at the right hand of the Father. And so when I would laugh, and sometimes I couldn't help it, because, you know, self-control back in those days, when you're a kid, there is no self-control. Man, I would laugh, and I would, I would just try to sit there and hold it. And he would sit there like this, and just kind of look down and glare at me. And I knew I was in trouble. How many of us, that's our view of God? That's our view of Jesus. Because see, for me, before I had a relationship with him, before I met him and he saved me, that was my view. That every time I would do something wrong, he would sit there and look down at me like Deacon Joe and just glare. Deacon Joe is not Jesus. Now, I don't mean to demean Joe because he was a great guy. I mean, he was a good man. As I got to know him, as I got older, he's a great man. So he is not a bad guy. But that is exactly what my mindset growing up was until I met Jesus of who he is. Somebody who would glare down at me and judge me for everything I did. And not just judge me, but give me a look to know that I was going to pay for it later. That is not who Jesus is. So do you fit in one of these categories? And I kind of hinted at them, hinted at them in my introduction, but the first one is, I've done some really bad things and I can't approach Jesus. That's, that's the altar boy complex, okay? That's what I had. That's what I grew up with. I do some really bad things, there ain't no way I can go to him. Or maybe this is you. I'm a really good person and I don't need him. You know, I mentioned that guy last week, that airline captain who has a great life, has wealth, has status, travels around the world. He's too good for Jesus. Is that you? The third one is, Jesus has already saved me, and I don't really feel like I need to approach him. He's like an afterthought. Come on, let's be honest as Christians, man. Are we there? There's seasons where I think we are. And then even then we get caught up in this, in this, this thought like I'm, I've been talking about how there's, there's Jesus as Deacon Joe. Like when something happens, can I go to him? Because I have not gone to, him, gone to him recently. It's not part of my walk. My relationship with him is weak. And so I don't feel like I can approach him. Or maybe the fourth one is simply this, I just don't care. Like, he is so far out there, and I'm here. Not only that, I got my own life to live right now, and I don't need God telling me what to do. I just don't care. And see, that's what the world wants us to do. It, that, that's just, that, that whole God thing is just religion. It's just something that you do to make yourself feel good. You can believe whatever you want. It has no impact on your life whatsoever. That's about the only reason why you care is so that you can say to somebody you're trying to date, that you can say to even to yourself that 
I'm a good person because I go to church. Other than that, I don't care. I just don't care. The bottom line is we have no confidence in ourselves. We have no confidence in what we've done. We have no confidence in what we don't do. We should not have any confidence in whether we care or not. The only confidence that we should have is in who Jesus is. And that is what is going to draw us to him. Jesus is approachable. So that's my whole objective for this series is I want every one of us that I've just mentioned, whether you fit in any of those categories, I want all of us to care. Care enough to approach him more. Care enough to deepen our relationship in him. Because if we can do that, like I have said, I believe as a church, we're going to become more victorious in our lives. That we're going to become more effective as the church. Because I almost feel like that it's like plugging into an outlet. Like those of us who like to recharge our phones, plug in your phone or you put it on a wireless charging pad and overnight you get up, it should be at 100%. If we can do that with him, then we'll have enough to be able to pour out to others. And that is so important. So with that, I want to get into Hebrews chapter 4. So if you've had your position placed for Hebrews chapter 4, I want to get into that. So Paul writes this this letter. And in Hebrews chapter 4, he sets up what I'm going to preach on here in a minute. So you know, you know me, I like to go into the pregame, if you will, before I get into the Super Bowl, to the actual game itself. And what Paul does is he basically highlights the reason why we should approach Jesus. And I'm going to get into this here a lot next week because these are really benefits. But the very first benefit is, as Paul says through the first few verses, is that Jesus is good news. And that we should go to him to be saved. That's the first benefit. That's, that is a no-brainer. Every one of us have heard of fiery fire and brimstone preachers like Billy Graham, who's amazing, who has preached multiple times that Jesus is Lord. The only way that you have a place in heaven is to come to him. We know that that is a benefit, again, but some of us don't care. The other thing is, is that in order to live this life as a believer— once you do get saved, Paul goes on and continues to say that, that we need to go to him so that we have the ability, the power, the strength, the know-how to be obedient to him. Because there is obedience. Like, we can't get around the fact that Jesus is God. He is. Okay, I can't water that down to make you comfortable to approach him. And I don't want to. Again, his awesomeness should attract us, not repel us. But there is this thing called obedience. And honestly, that's the only reason why I'm here today as your pastor. It's because I know he told me to be here. It's not about the spotlight, because anyone who knows me knows I'm an introvert. This is all about being obedient to him. And the only reason why I know how to be obedient to him is because I approach him. And I'm still in fellowship and relationship with him to where not only do I pray, but he also gives me direction. And I'm going to say this. 
what I preach, I'm learning not to care what any of you think. Because, thank you, because if he told me to say it, I'm going to say it. And if it comes out good, it comes out good. If it don't, it don't. But I'm obeying him. That is so important. It's not just about being saved, but it's also obeying him. And then the third reason, as Paul continues to write before we get to the verses I'm going to get into today, is he says that he knows our, the intentions of our heart. He knows our heart. See, what does that communicate? That I go to him, I approach him, not just to get saved, not just to get my marching orders, but so that I can be in deep relationship with the one true God. Bottom line. The approachability factor of Jesus is so important. The confidence and the willingness to go to him is so important. Whatever you're missing in your life right now, there's a reason for that. There's something there. Insecurities, sickness, whatever it is that you're dealing with, that should draw you to him. That alone should give you the confidence to go to him because you realize he is God and I need more of him. And that's what I meant about last week about folding like a lawn chair. See, the devil doesn't care you're saved. The devil doesn't really even care if you obey him. But the devil really cares if you don't have a deep relationship with him. Because if you don't have that, then ain't no way you're going to walk in victory and there's no way you're going to be effective as his church. So Hebrews chapter 4. This lands us in verse 14. And this is Jesus, the great high priest. Jesus, the great high priest. This is what Paul writes. Since then... These two words. So if you guys haven't learned from me as I've gone through the last year and a half of being your pastor, I like to look at these words and try to understand why they were written. Like we know the word is written by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through man, right? So Paul being a man, the Holy Spirit inspires him and pens these words. Since then, since then what? Since then we are saved. Since then, we go to him to be obedient, and since then, he knows us better than we know ourselves. Since then, we have a great high priest. So he, he, he goes into this fact of, as to why we approach him, and then he positions Jesus. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the priest of priests, the great high priest, the great high priest. See, back in the day, you needed a priest to give the sacrifice on your behalf for your sins. Jesus being the great high priest has been the sacrifice for us. That's why he is the great high priest. There is no need to go to any other priest. He's the only priest we need to go to because he is the sacrifice on our behalf. You need encouragement. You need direction and wisdom. You need his presence to encourage you. He is the great high priest. He is the one that we should approach. So what Paul is saying here is now that we've established that you need him, here he is as your great high priest. Positionally, he's over everything, 
over everything in your life. And how hard is that for us as human beings to understand that there is somebody that knows us, that's in control of us. Yes, he's in control of our lives. But when you decided to give your life to Jesus, he now controls your life. Yes, he still gives us free will to make the choice. That's why obedience is so important. And that is the reason why the world does not accept him. He controls our life. He controls everything that happens. Where we as believers think, and this is weird because even for me, there's situations in my life that I'm wondering, do you really have this, Lord? And the answer is yes. He's got it. And we need to be reminded of that, and that's part of the reason why we need to continue to approach him. So he is our great high priest who has passed through the heavens. That is awesome. Anytime you look at a sunrise or a sunset, anytime you see the star-filled sky, that's the heavens. He has passed through that. He has come from a place that we can't see right now and became fully man. And then after his resurrection, he ascended back through those heavens, not just as fully man, but fully God, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He has passed through the heavens, not once but twice. Why? For us. His passion is for us. His passion was to die for us. His passion is for us right now to come to him, to approach him. He still has passion for each and every one of us. For those of us that are not in him right now, in other words, have not received him as Lord and Savior, his passion is for you, if that's you. If you have a hardened heart, like a Pharisee, his passion is for you right now. That's why it's nice to know that we have this great high priest. Not just a title, but somebody who has passed through the heavens for us. He says, Jesus, the Son of God. The next few words, everything, everything that that we have is in the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the truth, the way, the life. Jesus, the Son of God, this high priest who's passed through the heavens, this is God. Let us hold fast our confession. Let us hold on to that. And there's some of us in here that I believe the trials of life have been so hard that you're starting to loosen your grip on that. And what God wants to say to you today is hold fast to that confession. Don't loosen your grip on that. This is not just for us personally, but again, to be effective as the church, this is what we're confessing to those people that are around us. See, as I'm going through this and talking about how Jesus is approachable, we're supposed to be like Jesus to those around us, right? So are we approachable, church? Are we modeling that? Are we confessing Jesus, not just in our word, but in our deeds to those around us, to where they feel like they can come to us to get the answers, so that we can point them to the answer? That's the confession. Paul goes on, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. 
I love this. This pulls back the veil, literally. This takes the lie of the devil saying, you're not good enough, you've done too many bad things, you do not deserve him, you can't go to him. This pulls it all back because he can sympathize with our weaknesses. He knows and feels everything that we have felt, everything. But Paul continues here and he says this, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That's the difference. That's why you're not God. That's why I'm not God. That's why the world is not God. That's why anybody who says you can be God, they don't say that. They just say, your path is your destiny. You control your life. This is why we are not God and he is. He was tempted in every way, but without sin. And the reason why that should draw us to him is because he understands how you feel. You can go to him and you can be honest with him because he already knows anyway. As he points out earlier in this chapter, he knows the thoughts and intentions of your heart. So you might as well just go to him. Verse 16, let us then, so we know all these things, positionally, he's above us. He is God. He's been tempted in every way, yet without sin. So let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of judgment and condemnation, to the throne of grace. Let us draw near to him. Man, the opposite of what we feel sometimes is I've messed up and I want to hide. And what he's saying is, when you start to feel that, draw near to him with confidence. Not just the fact that I can, but the fact that I will. I make that decision right now that I will draw near to him in confidence. That is so important. So when I think of somebody who, who knows what I'm going through, maybe, maybe there's somebody in your life that you can remember that they've kind of taken you under their wing and they've said, listen, I've been where you're at. You know, I, I've, I've walked that walk and, and, and I'm going to take you through that with me because I've been through that already. So for me, and I'm just going to make this as, as an example, when, when I, I was in the Army... And the last job that I had, I was an aide to a general. And he was a brigadier general, so just one star. But for me as a lieutenant, that was pretty intimidating. And I remember I was out in the field, and we were on a two-week exercise in the desert, and I was filthy. Man, if you've ever been in the desert, everything gets sand in it. Everything. Everything. Okay, let your imagination go. Everything get sand in it. And so I remember we, we got this call that there's this general who's new to a, a joint task force. So a joint task force is basically all the branches of the services coming together to accomplish a mission, whatever that mission is. And the one that they were looking for was uh, drug control. 
So this task force was all about defending our borders from drugs coming into our country. So this guy who was taken over as the general for that task force, I knew, as we say in the military, was high speed, okay? Stud. So the call went out, and I just felt like, you know, I'm going to try and go for that job. Why not? Sure, beats being in the desert, getting sand in every place that you know. And so I was one of the people that interviewed. And when I got hired by him, he told me I was the only one that came out of the field and cleaned myself up to go to him. That's one of the reasons why he hired me. Plus, he also found out I was a Christian, and so was he. But here's the thing, is I was extremely intimidated by him that I started to clean myself up, right? Granted, with Jesus, you don't have to clean yourself up. You just come to him. In the military, you've got to clean yourself up and go to a general. Okay, you just have to. But the more I got to know this guy who was such a larger-than-life guy, the more I realized is he understood me. Here is somebody who's been through all the ranks, from lieutenant to general, who knows what it's like to be in every position, who took me under his wing and treated me like a son. That is who Jesus is. Deacon Joe ain't Jesus. But General Anderson, the guy that I served with, I served under, isn't Jesus either, but he, as a strong believer, exemplified him perfectly. And that is what we're called to do. We're called to do that as believers. So why is it that I want to go to him? Well, I want to go to him because he saved me. There's, a, there's an act of appreciation there, right? There is a sacrifice of praise. He saved me. And so I want to go to him. He knows how I feel. He's been through it all. So I want to go to him. And I want to be honest with him. And, and I've had some honest conversations with him. Some of you need to be more honest with him. You might start to sense more victory, more of his presence in your life if you would just simply open your hearts and be honest with him on how you feel because he knows how you feel. And he knows how to win. Jesus conquered sin and death, was tempted but did not sin. He knows how to win. That's the kind of person, who is God, by the way, that I want to connect myself with. Like with General Anderson, I learned from that guy. Granted, I realized soon after that God was calling me out of the military. So when my time was up, I left. But I was trying to suck every bit of knowledge out of him that I could because he knew how to win. So as a new believer, I went through the military, I came out, and I started into the pharmaceutical career. And being a pharmaceutical rep was not easy because I called on doctors. Again, very intimidating. In some cases, very unapproachable. There are some groups that I couldn't get into because the doctors didn't even want to see reps. But you had to get, your way, you had to get in there and sell your drug. 
So what did I do? I went to Jesus. I know that sounds corny, but I asked him, dude, what can I do to get into some of these offices? What can I do to start promoting my drugs so that I could be successful? He knows how to win. He gave me the favor. He gave me the wisdom, and I did very well in my career as a pharmaceutical rep. So well that when the the time came for me to come into full-time ministry, it was not easy to make that jump. It was a wrestle, let me tell you. Again, it goes back to obedience. Jesus knows how to win. So I want to go to him for that. And why is that? Because Paul continues in here that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Mercy and grace. I can't do it anymore, there's mercy. I'm struggling with whatever, fill in the blank, there's mercy. I don't really care, but I know I have to, there's mercy. There's mercy when we come to him. There is mercy, there is acceptance, there is welcoming. Even as an unbeliever, there's mercy. He wants you to come to him. He wants you to experience him, and I hope when you're in this place, or if you go to any other Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church, that you sense that mercy, not just during the service, but with us as the church. He wants you. He died for you. He faced death for you. There's mercy for you. There's mercy for all of us, no matter where we're at. We are to draw near to the throne of grace with confidence to receive that mercy and to receive help in our time of need. Because as a believer, as a new believer, as somebody who's been believing for 25 years, maybe longer, has been following Jesus, we're going to need help in this life. Because it's not going to get easier. It's going to get harder. You think that attack on your marriage is a coincidence? You think that attack on your health is a coincidence? You think that thing that you're struggling with is coincidental? No. It's a fiery dart of the wicked one. But we have the shield of faith that quenches every fiery dart of the wicked one. And the only way we're going to be confident in that and the only way we're going to get through this thing called life is if we understand and know how important it is to approach Jesus. His approachability is a foundational thing. It's not just about doing good, earning your way into heaven, which you can't. It's not just about being saved and being filled with the Holy Spirit and being water baptized. It's about the fact that he paid the price for that veil to be torn from top to bottom so that we can approach him. So I'm hoping, based on what I've said, that any unhealthy fear has vanished. That any carelessness that you might feel in your life has vanished. That what other people that you hang out with in your life and your fear of what they may think versus God and what he thinks vanishes. Because all he's saying to you right now and what he said to those that were around him was simply this, 
follow me. Come to me. So how's your confidence now? I'm going to go through some verses here in the New Testament, actually in the Gospel of Matthew primarily. I'm going to start off in Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Tax collectors, sinners. Tax collectors back in those days, if you want to do a scale of sin, way up here. To your general sinners, all drew near to hear him. He's approachable no matter what you've done. Matthew chapter 5 verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. How many in here are disciples? All of us. We can go to him. He's approachable. Matthew chapter 8 verse 2. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Do you feel like an outcast? Lepers in those days, they were cast out of the villages. They were cast out of the cities. If you came near anybody, you made them unclean. If you came near to the villages, you were stoned. They were outcasts. Do you feel that way today? Come to him. He's approachable. Matthew 8, chapter 5, uh, Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him. This is the Roman centurion. Maybe you have never stepped foot in a church in your life and you're here today or watching online. That's awesome. You can come to him as well. As, as you might have heard a judging Christian say, you're a heathen. You can come to him, heathen. He's there. He's here right now. Matthew chapter 9, verse 20. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. Matthew chapter 26, verse 7. And a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it out on his head as he reclined at table. Women came to him. God does not discriminate men or women. They can all come to him. Matthew chapter 15, verse 30. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. Great crowds came to him. So if you're thinking, I'm the only one that could come to him, or I'm the only one that has to come to him, that nobody else needs him, that somehow you're singling yourself out like the devil has convinced you that you'll be the only one that needs Jesus. If you were to raise your hand in the auditorium this morning to receive Jesus, the answer is no, no. Great crowds came to him. You're in good company. Great crowds came to him, and if you think you are going to inconvenience him, you're not going to inconvenience him because he... He healed everybody that was brought to him. He had compassion on all the sick and healed them all. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Do you have questions? Do you have questions of him? He's not afraid of your questions. Come to him and ask them. 
Matthew chapter 21, verse 14. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Are you sick? Do you need healing? Then you also can approach him. I can't let me or my circumstances get in the way of approaching him. I can't let my questions about him get in the way of me approaching him in faith. I can't let my time in church and knowing I'm going to heaven get in the way of approaching him. I can't let the world get in my way of approaching him. No matter what's going on in this world, no matter how scary it looks, no matter how it's affecting me today, I cannot allow that to be the obstacle to keep me from approaching him. I can't let my bad or good marriage get in the way of approaching him. I can't let my career and my ambition and my success get in the way of approaching him. I can't let my pride and my shame get in the way of approaching him. The price he paid was too big. There's no mountaintop, there's no tent, there's no temple that contains him anymore. He is available for all of us. All we have to do is say, Jesus, here I am. All we have to do is humble ourselves, get out of our Pharisee mindsets and humble ourselves and simply come to Him. All we have to do is take our pride and push it aside and come to Him. For me, it was pride. For me, it was my life's going good. Got the hottest girl in Oklahoma as my wife. Yes. I have a career in the military, getting ready to take off. I was physically fit, much more than I am now, trust me. Everything going for me, pride, man, pride. But God loved me so much and knew that he had to get to me, that he spoke to me and told me to raise my hand to receive Jesus. And I did that. By faith, I received him. I approached him. 